Hello and good morning to Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. And good morning, as always, to New Haven Mayor Tony Harp. Mayor Harp is here in the studio for her regular Mayor Monday checkup on what she and we are up to in not as cold as last week, New Haven. So, join the conversation. You can post a question on our New Haven Independent Facebook Live page. Or you can be like Bob and give us a call the old-fashioned way, 203-8727-ELM, 203-872-7356. Today's program is made possible in part. Thanks to support from Bertram Moses, PC, and from Gateway Community College in downtown New Haven. Thanks, Gateway. Thanks, Bertram. And thank you, Mayor Harp, for joining us in the studio. It's very nice to see you. Good morning, Paul. How are you doing? Good. So you don't look like someone who's been through a blizzard and a deep freeze. <laughs> How'd you make out? Well, you know, it was pretty good, actually. Um, um, Lawrence and I were just talking about how it makes you reacquaint yourself with your thermostat. But <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Rafael Ramos was talking about it. He was uh, your Louisville City Initiative guy who, when there's a deep freeze and a storm, He's working around the clock. My question, I always have one reporter question for him. Did you sleep last night? How many hours? Because mm-hmm. the guy is going to everyone's house where a boiler blew. There was a boiler where the water froze mm-hmm. and, you know, helping families get their heat and having safe places to stay. And he was talking about how a lot of people are finding it difficult to keep their houses. He thought you should keep it. I think he said to uh, at least 74 degrees or something just so the stuff doesn't freeze. And mm-hmm. I didn't have any trouble keeping warm in our house. Well, you know, it, it wasn't so much that I had, Trouble. It's that we have these programmable thermostats. Yeah, I don't even try with those. My wife does those. <laughs> I am so intimidated by those programmable thermostats. I mean, just forget it. I, you know. Yeah, and you know, my son had programmed ours, and I really, you know, he doesn't live with us anymore. So, so now uh, you have you have this summer's heat. Yeah. <laughs> All of a I mean, you have air conditioning coming in at one in the morning. Yeah. I had a call and say, you know, how do I get the first floor warm? You know. Yeah. But did you figure it out? Yeah, yeah. I I took the I. Did, took the program out just did it manually okay (laughs) okay you know i think one day some of those some of those electronic challenges sometimes you have to take the plunge and sometimes you say i just can't get there yeah i'm just going to take one per year (laughs) i can't i can't do the um i can't do the thermostat well it was it was you know i thought to myself (laughs) i don't think this is supposed to be this hard (laughs) (laughs) that's the other thing but uh steve jobs is dead so no technology is going to be easy anymore for people of our generation so there was a lot of snow but it didn't feel to me like one of those big storms. And I, I think when I'm thinking about this, whenever we have storms, I like to think about them over years and how we view them and how we approach them. So 11 to 12 inches fell on the city. In the old days, and I'm talking 80s, 90s, aughts, that would be the big storm of the season. Right. Big deal. Everyone throws mm-hmm. down. And we did throw down. You had 67 trucks on the road. You, had, you were ready for everything. And it was, a, it was a triple whammy as your emergency master chief called it because of the high winds. Mm-hmm. Low barometric pressure, which I don't know what it means, but apparently that's a problem. Um, that's, what do they call it? That makes it a bomb, whatever. <laughs> that makes the bomb. And then the very low temperatures and the, and the snow. But what struck me is that we do, get, we do get a sense of how people are feeling about cleanup. We got almost no complaints. In fact, we have someone who always complains about no matter whatever happens in the city. Right. And he complained about, okay, so they did a good job. Let's not rest on our laurels. <laughs> that was a comment you'll see in one of our stories. So one of the takeaways I had from that is that we, we do continue to get our act together better on snow clearance. Snow clearance is a big deal. It's a big deal. If you're mayor, it's like very few it's things huge. will count as much to people, what they complain about, feel good about, and what they rightfully demand from you. And did you agree with that? I mean, do you agree that maybe there's a danger of patting ourselves on the shoulder? Or, well, you know, I think there's always a danger of um, of pat- patting ourselves on the shoulder. I think that what we've got to do is to be iterative, which means what is that, that yeah, what is yeah, that, mean? that basically means that you know, like that we make progress as we go. So you know, we, we're much better than we were, but we can even be better. Right, and the first storm was a little <laughs> bit of a wake-up call for you. And I saw your Michael Carter, he had a team, he's your chief administrative officer, who actually, when it was hot out and no one was thinking about snow, he was meeting every week with people about how you were going to improve that first year. Right. And it was everything from buying new equipment to getting your act together about how you share information in real time, where problems are, when you plow and how. You retrofitted your trucks this year so that the same plow could put down material to de-ice a surface, and that same machine can then come back and start plowing. We looked at chemicals, and guess what? We didn't use the best chemicals yet. So if we get another one, we'll have those chemicals. Then it's 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 made out of um, sugar beet. So I call it oh. beet juice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So look out, the beet juice is coming. <laughs> yeah. And why is that? Just something we had to introduce? We discovered Well, something. you know, one of the problems we had last year was that it would snow and then it would freeze really fast. Yeah. And uh, what we use works well if there's sun. It would freeze really fast. It would be overcast. And so we needed something that could melt through the ice. And that's what this um, this sugar concoction does. And um, so it sounds kind of, is it a little bit uh, organic, I guess, if it's got, or, or you know, more yeah, natural? Yeah, it is more juice. natural, and it's not going to damage the tree line as much. And so. And does this yeah. get laid before you plow, or while you plow, or after? I think, it, you know, honestly, I think that we, we, we prepare the roads the way that we normally do, and then once it, it starts to freeze over, I think that's when it goes down. So it's okay. Uh, but don't don't, I'm not don't test that me one. on this one. But, but beet juice <laughs> is very interesting to me because I can't. My wife doesn't like beets. Oh yeah. So I really like to cook with beets. I haven't cooked beets for years, so now I'm glad there's a use for beets. <laughs> in, in a, <laughs> a little blood red blood on the streets of New Haven, as Jim Morrison said, because we use the beet juice at, at Passover since we're vegetarian instead of the lamb for the blood. Oh uh, okay. And that's, that's very convincing. But back to snow. So um, <laughs> so the uh, anything else you learn from this storm? Because every storm teaches you something new. Well, it wasn't just the storm. It was how cold it was before the storm and, after. and how cold it was during and after. And I mean, at least today, it feels balmy. And I was looking and at And that's true. We <laughs> adjust. Isn't that interesting? Every yeah. time it's been in the 20s for the last week, right? it feels kind of warm. And I think our bodies really do adjust that they way because other parts of the year, 40s feels really cold. One of the things that I think I didn't know, and I, and, and I'd be, and I really loved your article uh, that Marquisha did on the dogs playing in Wooster Square. And um, you, what we had to do was to, because people hadn't shoveled their walks yet, um, they were required to 24 hours after the storm, so that they weren't required to yet. And um, so I had to figure out what to do with my dogs, yeah. how to take them outside. And uh, I love the idea of making snowballs and uh, playing with them out there. So. And I'm told some dogs really love the snow and some don't. Yep. Some don't like the snow. What, what kind of dog do you have? Well, I have two. I have one that loves the snow and oh, one really? that doesn't. Now, which kind likes them, which doesn't? Uh, the Australian Shepherd loves it. The Cocker Spaniel is could you know do without it. So what did you do? What did you do? Well, well, you know, the Australian Shepherd had fun and the Cocker Spaniel was miserable. So the Cocker Spaniel kind of goes does the business right near the door? Nope, nope, nope. She wanders around, but you can tell she's very unhappy. Her little paws get cold. And uh, <laughs> then she'll just, you know how they sort of like go flat on their tummies to conserve energy? She'll do that, you know? Uh -huh. It's kind of frightening in a way. But at any rate, in the meantime, the Australian Shepherd is running around. I, I Instead of walking through the neighborhood, I went to my, you know, we, we walked through the backyard. Okay. And they had a ball. But uh, they would have had more fun if I was throwing snowballs at them. So, okay, so yeah, next time, something. so next storm, <laughs> beet juice and snowballs. Right. Cold was the story. It was so cold. And um, and you opened up the shelters. You had them going around the clock. Right. And during regular library days, you know, you had those as warming centers. Warming center is a concept I only started hearing, and maybe I was all out of the loop, in the last couple of years. You've right. been contracting with churches to have a place to go. People don't want to go to shelters because they can't go with people opposite sex so they don't like the rules and don't like what time they go in. They have rooms where they go they can at least sit, stay alive, lie down a little bit. And then at these churches, I know last year this was true at, um, they're not doing it this year, at, um, Bethel. at Bethel. They had all these women in the church staying up all night cooking full meals for these people. They did. All winter. And they did the Super Bowl together. I mean, it was like a little community. I mean, I just developed. love that. That's the way, <laughs> way you remember you and some other politicians a, a generation ago kept talking about the churches stepping up. This is kind of an interesting way for them to step up. Yeah. And now you have a church in the hill that's doing it this year. Now, in Appel went. It was a very nice place. It was a good feeling to the place. You know, mm -hmm. there's some rules that you can't smoke inside. They don't want you doing drugs, that kind of stuff. You can't have mm -hmm. sex like in front of everybody. But otherwise, it's pretty, but that actually was an issue there. But, yeah, but, uh, but, uh, but, but that, in fact, everybody was so appreciative. Mm -hmm. of the service and uh because you get those last people we found some people in the library who actually didn't want to go in the first nights of the cold they tried right. to hang out in the station and i guess there's only so much you can do i guess you have the cops at lineup being told to go find every homeless person bring them somewhere if they'll go right i guess you can't by law force them if someone's well, standing out the street you probably can't but then if they become a danger to themselves i think you can because you're not allowed to be a danger to yourself if you're doing something that's going to cause you great harm and, and could possibly even kill you uh, we have an obligation to um, help people see the error of their ways and so there was room 
Um, as far as we looked at the numbers, there was, there was room. room. There was still room for a few more people showing up. And starting yep. in February, you're going to have a second warming center. As far right. as we know, any casualties or anything? Not that I know of. Okay. And, you know, what, for those folks who who didn't go into the warming center, they did go into the the ED, the emergency department, and both. Uh, and what happens sites. there? Uh, you know, they. they <laughs> you're talking about the hospital. Yeah. They, you know, they don't want too many people to come in, but they are typically very kind to people who, who do. So is this thing, you know, different parts of a job of a mayor. Some days you're thinking big policy, how are we going to build the tax base? Other times, how do you get people of different interests in town, have their interests represented in solutions? And sometimes you're talking about keeping people alive. Oh, and when the right. cold is like this, you were really, your job this this past week has been to keep people alive. No, that's basically our, our first job, to keep people safe and to keep them alive as part of that. So. All right. And we're talking about that on Dateline New Haven's Mayor Monday program with Mayor Tony Harp. On WNHH, 103.5M, New Haven Independent.org, your home for community radio. So now I can't get really in the weeds, the frozen weeds with you about snow policy. Mm-hmm. So there's one issue I've always been interested in since well before you were mayor, and how every year we rethink the issue of how to tag cars. Right. This is one of those great wonky issues, because no matter what you do, someone's going to be upset. Right. And every year I watch as you guys learn something new in response to the previous year. So the year it was really big was before you were mayor. And it was even before the big storm of 2013. It was 2011. We had a series of storms that then it stayed cold, the snow didn't go away. And you had all these narrow streets, especially in East Rock, where they didn't tag and tow the cars before the snow was big. The word hadn't gotten out. And so people were, their cars couldn't be moved. And therefore, they couldn't get the plows through. And uh, and then it's, and that was a danger to life. You had some old people living on the mm-hmm. streets. You couldn't get ambulances through. So everyone, the, the outcry before that, everyone gets upset. Whoever gets towed gets upset. You didn't tell me about it. And, you know, government, you want to listen to that, especially their older men are usually the ones who call you, and they get all upset. So in 2011, we weren't towing, and I guess they get upset. So then this was a big public debate, and they say, okay, people want the towing to happen. We'll make sure they can park at school parking lots and let know about that, and we'll do more to get the word out. So then we decided to tag and tow, and you guys came in. You kind of... You went a little bit back and forth the first year about how to do that. So this year, I was expecting everyone to be tagging tow before the snow fell. But there were two other issues. I was talking about Mayor Gannon about this about report. He said, one thing you have to do is you make sure you don't wear out your crews. So when you know you're going to have several days of clearing snow, big storm, and people are going to be working 16-hour shifts, you can't overwork them right before it starts. But you still right. have this challenge of not having cars get snowed in once it happens, once the storm hits. And so last year... You had been aggressively tagging and towing, and then a bunch of alders came to the Marcy Operations Center and chewed you out because there were some people, especially in Nohoville, who hadn't gotten the word. So you said you thought the lesson was we got to do better sense of getting out the word. So now you have sound trucks. This storm, and I love heat maps. Heat maps really make my wonk, uh, <laughs> my wonk endorphins go. So Doug Housen sends these heat maps, and he has heat maps of every place they had to issue a ticket last time. And then within... An hour of the shift being done, he has a heat map of where he issued them this time. We published them in the site. And and he went to those places, Farron Avenue, Grand Avenue, Dixwell Avenue, where people hadn't gotten the word last time. And they had the sound trucks in addition to flyering, in addition to asking the alders. You, I noticed you had a meeting with all the alders by phone, telling them what's up and how you're going to deal with the storm. You asked them to get the word out. You so, gave them flyers so that they, they had those they could get out. So I asked, you know, Doug Housley, you know, I noticed you didn't... Um, tag and tell everybody before the snow happens so how are you going to get them out and he said we did such extra effort to go where there were problems last time and we uh and we didn't want to burn people out so as it was starting that first morning then we started going out and we did the main commercial districts first to make sure emergency vehicles can get through so in the end so i, I notice every year how it's a back and forth trying to strike a balance you don't you want he said it isn't our goal to tow people it's not like we want to show we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of tickets. We're not trying to drum up the revenue here. We're trying to make sure people are safe. So, so in the end, you had about two hundred tags and tows. But it was pretty. The, the fire department told us the streets were remarkably clear. Mm-hmm. Now we all can talk about a street we walked down. We saw someone who didn't who didn't follow it. But uh, but like a my street central Valley was perfect. The ban and the and and so I think oh people I think, are learning. But I think you still. It's one of those issues to me that I think we're going to continue going back and forth like on a pendulum. Well, and you know, what, what the other reality is that we only have so many places we can tow the cars and we only have so many spots. Mm. And so um, so we can't really tow everybody who's, um, and so we really need people to cooperate. 
And what I think we've seen is that more and more people are cooperating. The word's getting out. It's getting out. So now you always have a batch of new people at Yale. Yale wasn't in session this yeah. time. Mm-hmm. I noticed they're always in the room at the Emergency Operations Center. They work with you. Right. So they got, and they have pretty good communication systems. They have a, a, an alert that goes out on their communication system that is very similar to ours. Mm-hmm. And so they get all of the information that we do. And plus, they have all their numbers, okay. even the new people that have come in. So as a resident crank commenter said, okay, you did a good job, but watch out. You don't want to rest on your laurels. What do you think? Well, I mean, the other thing is it was just, and I know it uh, was a lot, but just 14 inches of snow. Uh, in those other storms, we've gotten you know, over 30 inches of snow right. coming down really fast. And we can only do what we do. And, and I, I think about what uh, our emergency management um, administrator said, uh, Rick Fontana, we, we threw everything out there. And so I think our, our goal is going to be to throw everything out there. But the day will come when everything that we have will not be enough. That's right. But... We do have a new normal, which is raised expectations. <laughs> we are doing a better job. Well, and we want to do an even better job next time. And, you know, the, now we have aldermen and women calling us saying, you didn't, tow my, you didn't tag and tow my neighborhood, my streets. These oh, people good. are still out in the streets. The, the trucks can't get down. Where are your ticketers and taggers and towers? Darned if you do. Darned if you and don't. I mean, I've got a really, <laughs> really harsh email from from someone in Ward Twenty Six about an area uh, that we hadn't towed yet. <laughs> so, so you, it doesn't matter, you know. Like either you do too much of it or too little. Well, but what's so interesting <laughs> to me is that you are actually trying to address both ends of it. No, we are, and and we're doing a better job. And I just want to say that for all of the departments in there, many our public works department, our parks department, certainly our uh, emergency operations, all the CSA departments, our police, our fire, our coordination with Yale and with UI. I just want to say thank you to everybody for working with us and for being so collaborative. So if if that didn't happen, if there wasn't this spirit of I working together. I do love together, that team spirit. Yeah. It's like a very positive energy. It's storm's yeah. coming. We're going to do it together. We'll fight next day. Let's get the storm done. Yep. Bob, absolutely. you're on the air with Bayer Harp. How are you doing? Thanks for holding on. Well, I'm going to say uh, props up to the public works. Uh, I know. And you got, you're got a guy who has the, you do have your ear to the street. So you were hearing the same thing I was hearing. People were kind of like not getting upset at a snowstorm. Uh, yeah, I guess, but. Some of my uh, fellow co-workers at Yale went to work to find out their cars got towed over there in the uh, medical school area. Uh-huh. So I guess they were a little upset. They may have been one of the last ones to be towed on uh, Friday morning. So so you're but, coming in um, a little weak, Bob. Um, I, have, I have it all the way up, Harry. Okay. So you got a question for Mayor Harp. Yes, I do. I always wonder, um, whenever I see you in public in the same place as Mayor Harp, I always wonder, do we take a new picture because it's not warm <laughs> out, or do we use the old yeah, we, we could do that any time. Because you two are a but, team. Uh, okay. I actually saw the mayor at the swearing-in, and mm-hmm. I also saw the mayor um, get an award, and, Mayor, you were kind of surprised. I sure was. Salisbury Basketball Classic. Tell me about that. What was that award? Um, the award the mayor got, um, it was a surprise. Yeah. Um, maybe she can tell you about it. (laughs) Well, I think (laughs) it was, it was, uh, it was basically a a, a community service award. And every year at the, um, the Salisbury Classic, they give out awards. And so, um, they'd given out a number of awards to, um, to Coach Calhoun got an award, um, a, a judge, and I've forgotten his name, um, got an award and then um someone in the community dolan. got an award and yes oh judge dolan that's right judge and dolan got an award. yeah and, and i noticed that there was another award there and i was waiting to hear who was going to get that award and um <laughs> looking around <laughs> and i was really surprised that it was me it was really shocking what was it for <laughs> uh, just i guess community service um you know and supporting them not for playing basketball. No. no. Well, I guess you would be surprised being, you know, at a basketball invitational getting an award yeah. from the uh, from Bob. It was it was it was and it's a beautiful award too and I'm really grateful. So, if you see any of the folks involved in that tell them I'm 
still grinning from ear to ear and really thrilled. That's great. So do you have but a- I had one question for you, Mayor, and it concerns um, the Board of Alders, and I don't know if you've talked about this already, tabling um, your request for a raise. Um, how do you feel about yeah, that? Yeah, what is going on with that? Oh, no. Well, you know, we we spoke with leadership, and they gave us some questions that they wanted answered, so we're in the process of providing answers. Um, one of the things that we heard from some of them is that they didn't like the format that the request came in. So we're in the process of um, providing a different format. And uh, so we're hoping that within the next couple of meetings that they'll take it up what again. What does that mean? Like the color of the paper? Or <laughs> no, I, you know, like one of the things that, that, that um, they would prefer, I think, is to have it linked to something like to have it linked to another contract that we've done, so uh, to 3144, to police and fire, um, union contracts, and the amounts that they've gotten over the years. So in other words, they'd like you to have a systematic way of saying we're going to rate, like not just every once in a while, every 10 years in this case, right? Right. The mayor comes and says, hey, it's, you know, I haven't had a race forever, and everybody else makes more at other cities. I get a little raise, and they say, well, why now? They're, they want it to be more systematic where you they tie do. it. But that's going to cost the city more money. Well, you know. Because you would have gotten two raises already, right? Well, perhaps. And so. Um, it's kind of interesting. I mean, well, you I, know, I it doesn't mean that they'll do it that way. They just want to be able to compare the two. But I, I don't know that they're wrong. I mean, they might be right that maybe the mayor should get a raise every time 3144 does. And maybe it should be the same amount of money. And then it's depersonalized. And it's not about whether people right. want to be mad at this mayor or not be mad at this mayor. No, exactly. I think that's what they were thinking. And so I, I thought that was a reasonable request. And so we're in the process of putting that together. The other thought is it could be linked to CPI, you know, like, so, but linked to So are to you going to recommend for the future that there be a policy on when it raises? I think that would be more reasonable. Uh, so I think that's the direction we're going in. So this is an idea you got from the Alders. You thought it was a good idea. And right. you're going to incorporate it moving forward. That's what we hope to do. Um, okay. You know, but it's up to them. Okay, Bob, good question. Any others, Bob? All right, and uh, Mayor, I hope we're ready to haul away some more snow. I hope so, too. You know, one of the things that I want to do, because I love um, gadgets, but there's this gadget that if we could get another town to go in with us, it's called a snow dragon, so that what we could do is it's, uh, um, they call it a, a, a snow dragon because it melts snow, and it's this big thing that you throw all the snow into, you attach it to your sewer system, and it, and it then melts the snow, makes it hot enough to actually clean out your sewer system, too. And I think that uh, at some point, we should really be looking toward getting that apparatus. But does that mean where you've already sent the snow and piled it up? Or is it while you're... Well, you instead of piling it up in piles that we see around the city, you would actually bring it to this um, vehicle that heats it up. And so then it, it heats it up, cleans out your sewer system, and goes... And you say because of the cost, you'd want to go with another city? Yeah, it's, it's kind of expensive. It's about five, at least it was when I looked at it a year ago, about $500,000. And then how would it work if, if there's a big storm and two communities have it? Like, who gets it first? Well, you know, the trucks would bring the snow to wherever it is. Oh, so it'd be one, the trucks would, like, if we're hammed and it would be on, like, Whitney and Armory or something? Right. Mm-hmm. What a great idea. Have you, um, have you approached any towns about that? We looked at we we had a conversation with Woodbridge about it, and um, and I think we needed to get another town, and we just haven't done that yet. And uh, yeah, but what's the cost? Well, if if we can get three towns to go in together on it, the cost mm-hmm. uh, would be the state would pick up about seventy five percent of the, the cost. So that's why we wanted okay. to do that. Well, I'm sorry. If you cooperate, you get more state help. Yes. Oh, excellent, because they want to promote regionalization. Right. All right. Bob, thanks All so right, much for calling, man. Nice to talk to you. Have a great right. day. Warm. Is there another snowstorm coming? I think today there's going to be a light uh, snowstorm. Like a lot? No. Okay, just like an inch or so? Yeah. Uh, Dominic DeVino Jr. has written in a lot of comments here, Mayor Harp. Um, $500,000. Wow, that's a waste of taxpayers' money. So I guess he well, doesn't want to Well, we haven't done it stuff. yet. <laughs> Um, That's why. <laughs> but he also says this should have been done already with moving the snow and melting. No raise for any mayor should be allowed with the state in the hole. Folks are trying to save money at the expense of the people. It's also happening in Waterbury. Dominic DeVino, thank you for weighing in 
yeah. here on uh, Mayor your, Monday. Your opinion. Mayor Harp, uh, you had inauguration Monday. Yep. And whenever anything happens with a mayor's election inauguration, I love to compare it to New York. Uh-huh. Because our politics are so similar. Going back to um, 1989, we elected our first African-American mayor. So they, it was the exact same groups working on it from the same union district, 1199, to sort of elected black officials and people who are sort of usually against them. And then 93, they were each replaced by sort of a get-tough mayor, of white mayor. And, and it kind of went back and forth. And your election was, I thought, pretty similar to Bill de Blasio's. I thought it was similar kind of people, similar agendas, similar groups. But you had two very different inaugurations. It was similar in the sense that um, I did not see a lot of big shots coming the way they usually come. I think there were different reasons. He was actually snubbed. Governor Cuomo didn't come because he's fighting with them. Um, Chuck Schumer went first to a, uh, a swearing in of the first of a county supervisor in Hempstead and then came late. <laughs> the Clintons didn't show up this time. Last time they administered the oath of office. Bernie Sanders was there giving the speech. And that was partly to give him a national stage to try to emerge as he still has these ideas, I think, of running for higher office maybe. And and he talked a lot about how he used the first person singular and what his administration has accomplished. And it was slogans for a campaign. You gave, you did also did not have a lot of people. Not, and I was surprised that not more statewide candidates showed up because that's usually New Haven has the biggest uh, bevy of Democratic delegates, and I only saw Joe Gadam there who managed to find his way on stage, which was kind of interesting. <laughs> and uh, he's running for governor, but nobody else, nobody else. The governor wasn't there. Um, Senator Bloomingdale was there, but not Murphy, who's running for re-election. But you didn't use that first person. You gave a call to sort of, in these tough times, seeing public service as a moral crusade. And you deliberately, it seemed to me, and tell me if I'm wrong, were not using it as a platform to run for higher office, give slogans, or even praise that much what you're, you didn't really talk about accomplishments of your administration. It seemed like more you're looking ahead. Was, did I miss something? Is that what was going through your mind? I thought it was a very good speech. Yeah, I, I, I think that, that one of the things about the way that, that we see things in New Haven is that, um, and what makes us different as a city in almost every single operation that we have, because, you know, we think of departments, but they're really, their operations, but beyond that, their collaborations. And so one of the things that I like to think about is that we make progress in New Haven when we work together. And I wanted a speech that basically laid out that sense of collaboration, that sense of togetherness, and how no matter what happens, uh, it's the one thing that will help us to prevail as a city that people want to live in. Well, you know, you start out with quoting a, a bishop from San Diego about public services and moral right. crusade. It kind of felt to me like, it's because you give a lot of speeches probably almost every day. It felt to me like this was one time where you said, I want to make an address. There's a really bigger point I want to make. Was that wrong? I mean, it kind of felt well, like... Well, I think, yes, absolutely. You know, we could talk about the little things that we've done. We've done a lot of them. We've done a lot of them well. And there but, are occasions. I mean, you just yeah. ran for re-election. You had to talk about that a lot, right? Had to talk about it a lot. People have heard about it. You know, they could probably give the speech for me. (laughs) (laughs) So this is really to set a a broader vision. Where where were some of the big shots? Where was the governor? Where was Murphy? Where were the other people running for governor like Luke Bronin and those people? I don't know. You care? I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not about you. It's really about everyone in that room. That room was everyone was going to decide pretty much how New Haven's going to vote at a nominating convention. And, you know, I think that some of them thought that um, it's too early uh, to sort of get the kind of support that they think they need, that a lot of other well, things boy, have you, to Joe happen. Joe Gunn has been camping out here. He has. He doesn't think it's too early. He doesn't, but, you know, he's kind of an anomaly yeah. <laughs> in many ways. Um, so I think that was it more than anything. Denise um, Nappier was there, and she's not running for re-election. No, she is the state treasurer. She's been there, you know, I forgot, 20 years. Yep. That's a long time to it be a state a treasurer. Time. And if I'm not wrong, I mean, it seems like she's done a quite a good job as state treasurer. She has. I haven't, you know, and, and she's moving on. Any thoughts on what that's going to mean either for how the state's finances work? And it's not finances, it's how we spend dollars every day. It's how we guard the billions of dollars in our funds and, and make sure they get good returns. Or on this whole issue of ticket balancing, we no longer have a day, unless I'm wrong, please correct me on this, 
where in a backroom boss can say who's going to run for each constitutional office. They have definite influence party leaders, but we have primaries for any contested race where people raise their own money independently and get their own endorsements. And it's harder, I think, to decide, to make sure that a ticket will have an African-American on it. And I don't know if you've ever had a Latino on the, on the Democratic ticket. I know people feel there needs to be more balance and that there are women on the ticket. Um, any thoughts on that with Denise Nabry going? Because that was always, I mean, this might sound mean, that was always seen as the African-American slot on the ticket, oh, going no, back absolutely. to Jerry Lamb in 1962. And I think it continues to be seen that way uh, by many people in my discussions with with uh, Vinnie Morrow, who is our, our town chairman. You know, um, There are many who, who see it that way across the state, according to what he said. Um, there are um, a number of people who are running for that for that seat. Um, in our town, in all honesty, the, a lot of people um, are probably going to, to, to wait and see. I was just trying to think, you know, like Senator Murphy came in later on in the week around more issue-driven Puerto Rico. Driven Puerto Rico. And I think um, his plane had also been delayed. He got stuck in some bad track for New Year. Yeah, he came uh, back from Puerto Rico. Right. So I, 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 I think that he will be in New Haven. You're going to see him in New Haven uh, you're going to see New Haven being a factor. But again, it's going to be, you know, we're more collaborative. We'll probably work with some other towns around the region and try to, to figure out uh, where we go. We're collaborative and not. In my discussions, again, with the town chair, uh, we're really going to let um, the people who are a part of our convention, we have 100 votes. And, out of uh, how many? Um, a, a little over, I, I think a little over 300, I think. Is that it? I don't know. But anyhow... It's we are, be we have the largest delegation. We have the largest delegation. Um, and how does one, like, how do you as one make sure that we have a balanced ticket, or does it matter? What's it going to be like if it's all white males running or all white candidates? For well, Democratic I don't think Party? that it will be because when you look at the um, at the convention, well, Denise Merrill's a female, and she'll be sick yeah. And when you look at the convention, it's not. It's going to be a convention that is balanced uh, because you're going to have, and it's got to be well over 300 because you you've got. Um, Bridgeport has a little over eighty. Hartford has seventy some odd. So, so it's it's probably I don't I don't know what the number is, but uh, when you think about those towns and uh, the representation that they'll bring to the convention, the convention itself will argue for uh, women and for minorities. Mm-hmm. And uh, Roland Lamar was here. He gets involved in statewide campaigns. He's a state representative, Democrat from New Haven. He was in here in the studio. Jr. Romano is the Republican chair. Mm-hmm. And they were both kind of reflective on what challenges their own parties have on this election year to overcome. Jay Romano was talking about how Democrats really have an enthusiasm because of the Trump term that he has to get his grassroots people to match to go door to door. And Lamar says he feels that, that Malloy's brand, he doesn't think this is fair, but he thinks the Malloy brand has become toxic and the Democratic, he thinks a little bit of it's fair because Democrats have been in charge for a long time and some of the fixes they thought would help with the economy didn't with the state's fiscal picture, but also he thinks there's a lot of stuff he doesn't agree with that makes Malloy's name toxic and it'll be thrown at any candidate. And Lamar's point is that we need a governor candidate who can articulate a clear vision for how it can move forward. We don't have that, he said. The Democratic brand is suffering to a point that our natural advantage that we should have in a midterm election with the Republican president, we've lost all the natural advantages we'd have because our brand has suffered. We don't have a candidate who can articulate where we should be. Do you agree with him that we haven't yet heard from a governor candidate, that vision we need, that it's going to appeal to people in a post-Malloy era? Well, I, I think so far, um, none of the candidates have really had the forum in which to express their vision. So they, um, so I, I, w- I would say that I, I haven't heard it, but I don't think that it's time to hear it yet. Um, and so I, I do think that we will have a candidate that will be able to do that. What people underestimate and i know that malloy malloy uh gets the blame for this but the real problem to me is the construct of the general assembly tell me about that and how um um and basically how we have people on the right that um are willing to hold up government um in order to get their um their ideological way and you think that's a one-party well, you know, it happens sometimes. There are a few Democrats that, that do that as well. And so if you don't have a large majority of, of, um, of 
either party, and I would say for me, for Democrats, um, because we're a big tent as Democrats and we have a lot of uh, conservative Democrats, uh, ergo of the Republican budget that no one really thought through getting voted out of the Senate, uh, says to me that we've got a huge problem if we're going to move forward no matter who the governor is. And so you saw what Joshua Elliott's doing. He's a state representative Democrat. He, he's only a first-termer, but he, he polled all his colleagues. And he's putting a list out of who he thinks, whom he thinks should be primaried mm. within the Democratic Party because that very issue you raised. He felt like we were, the Democrats, he said, we were complicit with the Republicans and getting a Republican budget passed. He'd like to see some of the Democrats primaried. Some of the other leaders of the party who disagree with those renegade Democrats say it's important to be that big tent and we can't afford in more conservative areas like Milford or Branford to lose the people we have. And then the Josh Elliott people come back and say, long-term, unless we, pre- we present a different vision, it's okay to lose one election to try to build the groundwork for more progressive candidates. Do you have a thought on that? Well, you know, I would agree with him. It's just hard to do business when people in your own party see things so differently than you do. So what, what are the kind of issues to be the dividing line? A budget is a major uh-huh. one. So that, you know, you, you know, like, um, you know, housing. Um, that was uh, a biggie in the last term. Boy, Milford, yeah. you know, the, the representative there, say center there, within weeks of her voting to change the affordable housing rules, there was a new proposal to stop, a new move to stop affordable housing in Milford. Right. And so, you know, it's like, um, those are the kinds of things that, and, you know, this is a Democrat doing this. And, you know, and there are other things that we can look at uh, that happen as well with others, so you don't want to target any one person. But the truth of the matter is, um, these are people who don't represent our values. And so why should they be supported? All right, that's, that's interesting. That'll be very, that's a big issue coming up. And how do you draw that line? You know? And I, I think it doesn't matter if they're enough to overcome that, but when you get down to the numbers that we have when it's even and you've got uh, four or five people who are really conservative in any other world would be Republicans. Mm-hmm. It creates a problem for the vision being implemented. All right. And we're, we're talking about that on Dateline New Haven's Mayor Monday program, 103.5 FM, live stream, newhaven.org. Um, to, uh, Tom has some questions for Mayor Harp. Good morning, Paul Mayor Good morning, Tom. Do you think the governor should veto the state legislature's proposal to find $54 million somewhere? To reinstate the Medicare savings program. And if I got that right, that's when they use Medicaid money for recipients to cover that gap in Medicare, right? Right. And uh, so pe- some people have said, after an article in the Connecticut Mirror, as well as the governor, that this is a phony fix. You're double counting revenues, doing the same kind of problems that got us in the fiscal mess in the first place. These cuts don't take place until July 1st anyway, so there's time to fix it. Bipartisan leadership in the legislature says, no, we have to fix it now. These are poor people who are old and scared and we just got to do it and we'll, we'll get the other details later. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, I think it's one of those things that, um, again, the very conservative members of, of both parties, well, one party very conservative and then the others, uh, made cuts without really knowing that it affects everybody and not just people in urban areas. You know, one of the things that, that, um, that we have to understand is that there are some people who don't care what happened to cities don't care what happened to poor people. And as long as they think they can make cuts and it just affects poor people, they do it. When they turn around and find out, oh, there are people in my town that are affected by this, then they want to solve it right away. Why? Because they're running for re-election. Mm-hmm. Give me a break. So what would you do? <laughs> you know, I mean, in all honesty, I would much rather have the legislature find those cuts than to have, uh, maybe, I don't know. I think that we could wait. I don't think it's necessary to go in. I think the governor will do the right thing. The governor understands how important urban areas are to the state. The legislature doesn't at this particular point in time. I'm really glad you came to the studio today. <laughs> I love seeing you fired up. This is great stuff. All right, uh, another question from Tom. Why did the city rehire officer Daniel Conklin, given the long history of citizen complaints against them and internal affairs investigations and another city's rejection? So he had retired. He went to Westport. Westport read about how New Haven's own police department found that he repeatedly you know, violated citizens' rights and lied about it. So they didn't swear him in, so he came back and we rehired him. Well, I think that you have within a certain number of days to rescind your, um, 
your retirement and uh, leaving the city, and he came back within those days. Well, you know, on that, it was, um, they still had a rehirement of vote, and I guess they were worried about union pass practice, mm-hmm. that other people who had done worse things were welcome back, so they were worried about being open to a lawsuit, as I understand it. Well, because that, that past practice is very interesting to me about labor, because I know that, and that's one reason I'm glad I'm not a person in government, Civil service rules, which I believe there's a really important reason for civil service and there's an important reason for labor law. So it's not, I'm not saying that people's rights should be protected, but it really constrains government decision makers more than anybody else. Because a lot of the labor to, you, rules you anticipate. So I guess one of the questions, when do you anticipate lawsuits and therefore take actions you might not want to take? And other times, when do you pick the fight? Yeah, I think that one of the things that we have to do is to look again at what has happened in the past. Have we been sued? Is this uh, police union likely to sue us? And um, and truthfully, you know, we know that that the union sue us every day. So um, we don't have to look too long and far to see that. So my favorite suit of the week. I'm calling it. I'm calling it the chutzpah suit. Are you, you see, you're very you're very familiar with chutzpah in government. Are you familiar with the term? I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. It's like saying you it's know, it's like a lot of nerve. A lot of nerve, like telling the waitress, boy, this food was terrible. And why was the portion so small? <laughs> so Church Street South, the people who run Church Street South, they destroyed that place right. by all accounts and they made it unlivable. You had to pull people out. It was all falling apart. We got to knock it down. So basically they took a property that they were getting millions of dollars a year in federal money to keep up mm-hmm. and they let it be destroyed. Right. So now as you're clearing it out and working with them on getting new money to rebuild it, they're actually suing you because they're saying this project isn't worth as much as it used to be. Basically, this project they deserve is worth less than it used to be. Because we ran it down. Oh, yeah. well, there you go. So, so how does that work? <laughs> How do you feel? Any thoughts on that chutzpah? Well, you know, look, uh, we are working with them because they own the property. And, um, and you know, like, what, what, what did uh, uh, Hank Parker once say? No permanent friends, no permanent yeah. enemies. And, and so- it's been interesting <laughs> to watch you on that because you, you said, I remember you didn't say we're not, they came here with the understanding yeah. on the Distefo administration, that place can be knocked down. They're going to build up something bigger and newer, mixed use, let all the old people back, but also make mixed income. And then the politics changed that and they felt kind of burned, but then they were not responsible with how the money was spent. You came in, you said, until I see that they're going to be responsible in how we move people out, I'm not committing to rebuilding it with them. Right. Even though you did have to worry about lawsuits if you don't, because they own the property. Right. So you felt, and other people felt too, they did a good job in working with the city in good faith in how you've handled the demolition and their 11 families left the relocation. So now you're pursuing federal money with them to rebuild it with them, which will just make it avoid years-long delays on fights. Right. But they are suing you over Well, over I, you know, the same thing, 360 State Street does this, did the same thing. So, I mean, yeah. almost every almost every major... Um, um, apartment owner or housing or um, commercial building owner sues us uh, because uh, they think that, that that we've over assessed them. We've worked really hard on our assessments um, because so many people have gone to court over assessments. And so, uh, and for some, it's just a stalling ta- tactic because they don't have to pay, I don't think, until. Yeah. Uh, but at any, anyhow, long story short, um, uh, it happens a lot in the city of New Haven, and when I first became mayor, it happened more than it happens now because our assessment, our department, and the the contractors that we use uh, do a much better job than they've done in the past. And so I just want to thank them. For I do that. remember, you know, I think about drama. There was a lot of drama with assessments around 2011, 2012. Oh, absolutely. You're not, yeah, you're not big on drama. You and Obama. Well, you know, we want to just do no it drama, right. Obama. Because you know what? You ultimately have to deal with it. You know, like if it isn't, if it, if it can't stand up to scrutiny, people are going to take you to court. Everybody does. And, uh, and, and, and if it doesn't stand up to scrutiny, we lose. We end up paying uh, back. So uh, long story short, we, we should be as professional as we can be. And whatever it is that we do should stand up to scrutiny, have rationale that is reasonable. And, you know, we will likely lose less, but we could still lose. And, I, when, you know, in addition to Hank Parker quoting Malcolm X saying, no permanent friends, no permanent enemies, it also seems like you talk about that's the way business is done. And it seems like maybe as a mayor, do you think about how not to take things personally when you're dealing with oh, institutions? You can't. you can't. It's You absolutely can't. You know, this isn't about... 
um, whether or not people love the city of New Haven or its mayor, it's about business. business you know? <laughs> and I think, you know, one danger politicians have sometimes is the l'état c'est moi. I don't have a terrible French accent, but you know, you know, the state, I am the state that if people who are in elected office in front of government, if they take it personally, that can affect how decisions are made. For no, I think it can, and it can also affect how you feel about yourself as a, as a human being, and 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 truthfully, uh, you were a human being before you became uh, a mayor, a governor, or senator, and you'll you'll be a human being while you're that and after. And you've really got to understand that there's a big difference between your job and who you are as a person. Another question came in from Tom: um, What do you think of Joe Ganim's driver not getting a speeding ticket <laughs> for going 87 miles an hour? Talking about drama. He had like he had drama every five minutes. His first day, you know, if something wasn't his fault, get kicked out of the briefing room. That was hilarious. <laughs> what do you think of Joe Gannam's driver not getting a speeding ticket for going 50, 87 in a fifty-five mile an hour zone on the way to a gubernatorial event? Are you going to come out for speeding or anti-mayor? <laughs> Look, I don't think anybody should speed, um, and I think that was unfortunate. He should have at least gotten a warning. I believe that he did get a warning of some sort. Uh, but to remember that he is a policeman. And I'll tell you, this is a really funny story. I was going to a meeting in um, Hartford. This is right after I was reelected. We were in, it was in the wintertime, we were in a police vehicle. And the person who was driving me really had a misunderstanding about the way that I think about things. And, you know, we were running a little bit late. <laughs> we were on I-91. He put those lights on and that siren, and we started weaving in. <laughs> I'm holding off for dear life. And I said, oh, please don't ever do that again. We'll just be late. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I guess you can't be late. I remember once when I used to, in the mid-90s, I used to do a radio show with Tom Scott on WELI in Hamden. And I was running late, and I was speeding on Circular Drive, and a Hamden cop pulled me over. And I said, you know, I'm really sorry, officer. I blew it. I was late for, you know, I do this radio thing, and I really shouldn't have done that. And he said, well, go on ahead. I said, really? He said, Say something nice about the Hamden cops. <laughs> so I went on the air and I said, okay, the Hamden cops let me off. Thank you, Hamden cops. You do a good job. I don't fight. How do you do that when some cops let, like, what should this driver have said? So I'm guessing that I could be wrong that rather than courtesy for Joe Gannum, who, they, you know, this was up in the northern part of the state, I'm guessing it was courtesy to another officer. Right. What are you supposed to say when they cut you a break? Because it's up to them to cut you a break, but you don't want to have, you know, like as a reporter, I didn't want in 1995 to get mm -hmm. that kind of break. How do you do it? Like, what would you do? You can't really ask them to ticket you because that's not your no. purview. Uh, you can say, look, thank you for bringing this to my attention. Um, I appreciate the warning, and it won't happen again. You had a predecessor. I'm not going to mention names. <laughs> someone I think we both love who got a, the, the cops wanted to make a point and gave the mayoral vehicle a ticket uh -huh. for parking. And, and the person <laughs> didn't want to pay it. I guess I can use the gender he since you're the first woman. And uh, in the office and saying, you know, darn it, you know, like, who they think I, I'm not going to pay just because they want to make a point of me. And like the aides had to sit on him and say how bad it will look if a mayor doesn't pay the ticket. <laughs> Do you ever get tickets? Uh, you know, occasionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People yeah. hate getting parking tickets. It's something, it almost seems like a violation of space or something. People hate getting parking tickets. They do. And, you know, if you think about it, uh, depending um, on where you park, it might be cheaper to get the ticket then. Well, I just heard about some parking tickets people got. There was a screw-up with the city. Um, I guess we used an outside contractor. Mm -hmm. And um, they came from Clayton, Missouri. So someone showed me a ticket they got. It came from New Haven. It said on the outside, it said New Haven parking and trick. And then it said, you were parked illegally in Clayton, Missouri. You owe money. <laughs> any, any thoughts on that? People make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> um, finally, I wanted to ask you, um, Sierra Club, uh, has a Ready for 100 campaign for cities going to 100% renewable uh, sources. They came to New Haven to pitch it last year. Burlington's gone to 100%. I know we already, you had an event about joining a mayor's pledge to comply with the um, Paris Climate Accords. Any thoughts on this campaign? Well, you know, I think that we're, we're working towards it. Um, and you know what? I'm going to check with my uh, city engineer, sustainability. Who was there? He was there. <laughs> Right, and uh, I think we're working towards it, but let me get the facts. And he did say it fits in with, with what you've been moving to. Right. Finally, any thoughts on your third term? Top well, priorities? Well, you know, we're going to continue to um, work on domestic violence, and so that's uh, going to be our safety initiative. We want to continue to keep our our homicides down. Um, we're going to continue to working, 
work on education. As a matter of fact, the new superintendent will start in March and is already starting her her 90-day entry plan. Um, and uh, we're going to continue to work on trying to bring um, high-paying jobs into New Haven for New Haven residents. All right, so you got some work to do. In, addi- yeah. in addition to bringing beet juice <laughs> to the streets of New Haven. Yes. Blood on the streets of New Haven. That's not blood, <laughs> folks. It's beet juice. And there's less blood. We had the fewer fewest homicides on record for half a century. Yes. And overall violence down. National trend, but not a statewide urban trend. Right. Without being catty, because the years will not look good in this way. Uh, homicides and shootings went way up in our comparable cities in the state, mm-hmm. but they went down in New Haven. We're working really hard. And, you know, I want to just thank the people um, at New Haven Police, but I also want to thank the people who seldom get the thanks. Their youth stat, our youth services department, Jason Bartlett, his team, Gemma, Joseph Lumpkin over at the Board of Education. They're working really hard to keep our young people engaged in school and to give them the kind of skills that they'll need to be contributing adults. And so I just want to thank them uh, and let everybody know how important their work is to keeping us all safe. Streets clear of blood, streets clear of snow. We're not going to rest on our laurels. No, we're not. All right. Tony Harp, thank you so much for always giving us a great start to our week here. Thank you. WNHH Radio's Dateline New Haven. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thanks to Bertram Moses PC and Gateway Community College, at least that's what's called for now, in providing financial support for today's program. Well, they're talking about consolidating all the uh, community right, colleges. Yeah. So I'm saying watch this guy, Paul Brody. I'll bet that if they consolidate, the guy who's the new head of New Haven and Gateway, I think if they were smart, they're going to move him up and help with consolidation. He seems to have a good He's really handle good, on yeah. how to do that. Yeah, We're going to take it out with the Afro. That's one of our predictions for 2018. You can see this guy move up as move that up. happens. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience, performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free. Yep, as always, from the CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass. I'm going to make a plea for peace. <laughs> we, uh, we all like living in this community better when we're feeling more peaceful, and the snow helps us remember that. And we know what it's like to be free. We just got to book our flight. Book your flight with us and fly free all day and all night long at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio. Mm-hmm.